how do you find your voice for a for a particular character? I don't know why I'm what? How do you find your voice for a particular character? Hey guys, welcome back to Rolling Wild with Alejandro Reynoso. This is season two, Rolling Wild season two. Thank you so much for sticking with us and coming back. This season, I'm bringing you more helpful tips, plenty of anecdotes, and of course, more awesome guests. Woohoo! So this season two opener episode was inspired by my recent experience at Soda City Comic Con. Um, for those of you who have been following my social media or uh, my YouTube channel, you'll know that this was my very first Comic-Con experience. I was in Columbia, South Carolina. It was a ton of fun. I met lots of really cool people, lots of really cool actors. And I also got lots of really great questions that actually inspired this opening episode. Because when I was there, I did a voiceover 101 panel. And I was put on this panel with industry vet Kathy and Jimmy, who you might know as Peggy Hill on King of the Hill. Honey, tell me, what is it like to live without shame of any kind? Or, as a personal favorite of mine, in front of the camera, Mary Sanderson on Hocus Pocus. She is one of the Sanderson sisters. She's trying to concentrate. No. There's no such thing as chunks. <laughs> And also the lovely and fabulous Diane Pershing, who is the voice of Dr. Pamela Isley, a.k.a. Poison Ivy, on the wonderful Batman animated series. Oh, please, call me Poison Ivy. Now, this is also the series that gave us treasures like Kevin Conroy's Batman. And fun fact, I also happened to meet Kevin at SC3 at Soda City Comic Con, so that was definitely a highlight. As well as, and I didn't get to meet him, but as well as Mark Hamill's Joker. <laughs> this is also the series that gave us Arlene Sorkin's Harley Quinn, truly inspired. And, of course, Diane's Dr. Pamela Isley, Poison Ivy. Why do you put up with that clown? Don't get me wrong, my pudding's a little rough sometimes, but he loves me, really. Although, she's technically the Joker's partner in crime. All my ladies know that really, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn is where it was at. So I was on this panel, and I was asked lots of really great questions. And having been inside this industry for a few years now, and also having grown up in L.A. with more access to, I guess, information or familiarity with this industry, I sometimes have a bit of a blind spot in terms of what is most helpful for you guys, my wonderful listeners, to hear about VO. And since you all come from very different backgrounds with varying degrees of familiarity with the entertainment industry and, and voiceover in particular as it pertains to this podcast, I'm not always sure what is most helpful. But this panel and definitely the Q&A section provided me with lots of great jumping off points. So I do want to address those. There was also a video put up on YouTube of this panel, but unfortunately the acoustics in the room were not fantastic. And so I have heard that it was very difficult to follow. So I wanted to put together this episode. And also for any of you that I met at Soda City who came by the table and had really great questions to ask or who are interested in VO, I hope you're listening too. Feel free to leave comments or reach out on social media if that was you. 
And if you feel like there was a great question that wasn't addressed, or you have a question that wasn't addressed, I will be giving you some more information at the end of this episode on how you can get those questions to me and potentially get them answered on another episode. So stay tuned. So without much further ado, let's start with question number one. To start us off, do we as voice actors get to work as an ensemble or do we record alone? Now, the answer to this is, as with many things, it depends. So it really depends on the show, it depends on your director, it depends on the actor's schedules. But generally, as a voice actor, you work alone. Especially if you're dubbing, if you're doing ADR, which is Automated Dialogue Replacement. So if you're dubbing anime or foreign television shows or foreign films into English, you are definitely going to be working alone. I don't want to say that's 100% the case because, again, it always depends. But for the most part, it's a very technical, very technical job. So while all of voiceover is to a degree technical, there are certain limitations and aspects of dubbing in particular that make it much more reasonable to do as a solo project. And that's because you're trying to match lip flap, which is basically just the animated character or the live action actor being dubs lip movements when they're speaking. And this is what you have to dub to or loop to to realistically provide a performance in any given language. Now, usually how this is done, there are a few ways, but one of the traditional ways this is done is with three beeps. So right before you have a line, you'll hear and where that fourth imaginary beep would be, you start talking and that should line up nicely. And then you'll match the picture and you'll go one line at a time. So it's slow go and it's tedious and you're Sound engineer is going to be your best friend on this one as well. And again, I'm trying to be both detailed and cursory because I don't want to sit here for forever. I understand that your time is precious and you're here to get the good stuff, but you're not here to sit for forever. So I get that. So I'm going to try and cover this as best I can without keeping you forever. Now, getting away from dubbing and looking at original records, like something that we would do on Castlevania or the later seasons of Winx Club, or on the Batman animated series, because I mentioned Diane in the little intro for this. For those, it's a toss-up. Maybe you record on your own, maybe you record as an ensemble. For Castlevania in particular, I'm going to give you a few case studies. For Castlevania in particular, I am always in the booth by myself, but for the most part, and I think for, I think all of my records, that's not true, not season one. Okay, for most of my recording sessions, I record with Richard Armitage, who voices Trevor Belmont. And uh, for those of you that watch the show, you know that Trevor and Saifa have a great banter dynamic, and they go back and forth, and a lot of the comedy comes out of those little exchanges. Or you get killed and they get eaten in the forest, so none of you have to be sad. How's that? I was right about you the first time, you know? You are rude. I've been called worse. Oh, I'm just getting started. So 
the creatives on the show really wanted to try and keep that chemistry as much as possible and have us record together as much as possible. However, Richard Armitage, being the fantastic actor that he is, is always busy and always all over the globe. So what we do is we use a process called ISDN, which essentially allows us to have almost like a phone conversation or, or a Skype conversation so that while we're working on a scene, I can hear him in my headphones, he can hear me in his we're not actually physically in the same room or even on the same continent or in the same time zone, but we can hear each other. Our director can hear us. Our producers can hear us. If, you know, Sam's sitting on the line, Sam Dietz, our director, and uh, Warren will often sit in on sessions, our fabulous writer and creator on the show. But we will do our scenes together. And we're not recording with anyone else, so oftentimes Meredith, our lovely casting director and voiceover director, will read in lines for miscellaneous characters and scenes. And we'll just go through scenes at a time. So we'll do a few pages at a time, and we get to record together. We're just not physically in the same room. Now, when I was on Winx Club and we got into original records in seasons five and six, we were able to record as an ensemble because all of the fairies were local. Now, sometimes one person might not be able to be there. Kiki sometimes was busy and she couldn't be in the room with us on that day. So she might come in and record her stuff separately by herself. But maybe five out of the six fairies would all be in the recording studio. And they would have us all lined up, all five mics. And it was fantastic. It was so much fun to be in there as a group, as an ensemble, working. And you get great chemistry you get to see other you get to hear and experience everyone's timing and really be in that scene now on the flip side because sometimes schedules do not allow for this you do record by yourself and your director is invaluable in helping to fill in the blanks so that you know what you're reacting opposite of and every once in a while they might have a sample of maybe a scene partner who's gone in to record before you and you might get a little bit of that, not throughout the whole thing, but sometimes it's necessary just to get context perfect. Quick nod to Batman the Animated Series. That they did do as an ensemble, um, which they did to a fantastic effect. And that's because Andrea Romano, who directed Batman the Animated Series, as well as Voltron and countless other fantastic shows, was a big believer in getting your actors together in the same room, because that's when the magic happens. All right. Oh, and actually, here's a fun fact for you. Graham McTavish, who voices Dracula, and James Callis, who voices Alucard, recorded that final, very emotional scene. I'm not going to get into too many details. In case you haven't seen the show, I'm not going to be the source of spoilers. Granted, it's been out for a while. It's there waiting for you on Netflix. But I don't want to spoil it. Needless to say, Graham and James have this incredibly emotional and powerful scene. And it's so beautifully done that people are always surprised to hear that they did not record that together. They weren't in the same room, and they weren't even on ISDN. They recorded completely isolated from each other at different points in time. That's also one of Meredith Lane, our fabulous casting director and voice director's 
favorite anecdotes on the show because it really is amazing. So when you see that performance, when you go back and watch it, or if you remember, just know they pulled that one out of thin magical air. Okay, question two. Which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Just kidding. But honestly, which comes first, the animation or the performance? Again, it depends, and I'm not going to be as verbose on the second one. Basically, if you are dubbing something, obviously the animation comes first, you're matching to picture. If it's an original record, the standard in Western animation is that the performance comes first, you lay down that track, and then the animators will storyboard to that performance. So the animation is modeled after your performance. Every once in a while, there might be limitations or special reasons why something might have to be storyboarded and left with loose lip flap, or maybe there's an animatic. But generally, the rule in Western animation is that the performance comes first in original recordings and productions, and the animation comes second. In Japan, I believe the standard is to animate things So even the original Japanese voices in the series are matching to picture. So there you go. Question three. Any tips for getting started in VO? Oh, that's a big one. And obviously we talk about that on this podcast a lot. That's kind of the aim of this podcast. Um, And my guests always have great advice for you guys. But the quick summary version from me, and then you can go check out all the other episodes of the show. You can check out season one um, and really go into more depth if you haven't already. But the quick version is go check out D. Bradley Baker's website, IWantToBeAVoiceActor.com. It is all there. It is a wealth of information. D. is so generous and so detailed in the information that he gives So I would start there. The other quick of it would just be, it's not about the crazy voices you can make, the funny sounds. First and foremost, you are an actor. So it behooves you to train, if that's what it is for you, to study up on your craft, to be practicing, to be working, to be studying the work of individuals you admire and see what it is they do and what about their performance or their work resonates with you and see where you can replicate those things. That doesn't necessarily mean impressions or impersonations. Of course, those are also great ways to practice and train, but it's not about being another actor. It's about being uniquely you. And I do want to talk about that in particular more in depth later this season, so hold on for that. There will be an episode on Things that I've learned as an actor and as a voice actor um, and things that have really changed my approach in the last couple of years for the better. So definitely look out for that. So that's kind of the quick and cursory of it. But definitely check out D. Bradley Baker's website. All right. Four. How do you emote using only your voice? Well... I wouldn't say that you're only using your voice. There are technical limitations. Yes, you do learn how to connect and how to express a performance in a different way. Maybe, well, not maybe, 
on camera, you have the advantage of using your face and your body and your eyes, and all of that comes through. It's a much more subtle performance because the camera sees it all. It sees everything. But when you're only using your voice, everything has to come across audibly. So you might not see what my eyes are doing or what my body language is saying, but you can connect with my voice. And there is a degree of also, you have to push the performance a little bit. Yeah, push the performance a little bit more. Because something that might look fantastic on camera or sound great on camera doesn't necessarily come across in animation or in video games when you're on a mic. Sometimes it falls a little flat. So there, there is a, a learning curve there. But you're not necessarily just identifying X, Y, or Z emotion, and then just kind of producing that. You know, you work in context, and as an actor, you make things as specific for yourself as possible. So you're not, even if you might be recording line to line, you're not treating your performance like a, okay, you know, selecting, turning the knob to happy, sad, angry, and here you go, here's the, the output. You are still an actor, so you're living within a scene and within a context. And it's not about that one emotion, because that's not how humans work. 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 So it does live in a larger context. And again, it's all about first and foremost being an actor. You're not a vending machine that shoots out emojis. Which is not to say that emojis are bad. I use them all the time but not in my acting. Okay. Five. How do you find your voice for a a particular character? I don't know why I'm... What? How do you find your voice for a particular character? So I'm going to interpret this question to be what does your process look like? And it's another it depends. It's different for everyone. Some people have very specific and rigid processes and some people don't. Um, finding a voice for a character. I mean, it all starts with the sides that you're given. Um, sometimes that includes character art, and that would help you determine things. You know, you can see how small your character is. How big? Do they have braces? Are they missing teeth? Do they have a lisp? Uh, countless things. Is it, is it a human? Is it an animal? Is it a fantastic creature? You become a detective in a way because you're given some stuff, but a lot of times it's also what you're not given and what lives between the lines. So you start with your sides. If you have character art, if you don't, you start there. You start with the lines, the scenes. Sometimes you have a scene. Sometimes you're given chopped up lines without context and just emotions or limited context in parentheses. Hello, video games. I'm looking at you. And you have to be a detective and kind of dissect what is happening there so that you can come up with something that makes sense in your head. Get specific. Because if you're just kind of speaking into the void, not really knowing why you're saying what you're saying, it's probably going to come off that way or it's just going to come off as a nice generic military bark or whatever it happens to be because some of the lines can fall into oh I know what this should sound like but everyone who's getting those sides is thinking the same thing 
it's very easy to fall into the most common sense read of something. And sometimes it's just what it is. It's not about reinventing the wheel and being different or odd or quirky for the sake of it. If that's the read, that's the read, but it has to be specific and real for you. And so you really find the voice in that way. You start to find it as you work on the character. And maybe that character or those characteristics reminds you of another character, you know? Maybe you're sampling something else. It's all about those influences and your experiences and how you think something should be. I guarantee you that will be different for everyone because we all interpret things very uniquely. There might be a few strains that stand out. You know, a few people might arrive at similar conclusions, but they're never going to be 100% the same. And sometimes you get cast off of a particular performance or voice, and then you get in the booth and start working with your directors and producers, and you fine-tune things and you change them, and maybe you arrive at something totally different. So finding the voice for a character in that process is a process, and it happens on the job, and it's different for everyone. That's just kind of what it looks like for me. All right. Six, how many voices does a single actor need to be compa- I'm going to do that again. Six, how many voices does a single actor need to be competitive? Or how many voices minimum do I need to be able to do or to become a voice actor? Okay, well, the answer is, I don't know. And there is no minimum. So how many voices does a single actor need to be competitive? Well, I mean, the fact of the matter is that if you have a larger, wider range, you're going to work more because you have more of that range. You know, I'm looking at the Tara Strongs and Frank Welkers of the world. But we aren't all that actor. I certainly am not. Um, I would love to be. And, and obviously, you know, you can work on your craft and there are ways to get closer to that. Um, and it's always great and awesome if you are working on improving yourself. But you don't need to be Frank Welker or Tara Strong to be a voice actor. And on the flip side, there is no voice minimum. I mean, some people work a ton just kind of doing their thing, but they're fantastic actors. So really, I would just say be a good actor, you know, focus on your craft and the rest of it comes later. And uh, I did get the question also, personally, how many voices do I do? Or to Diane, like how many voices does Diane do or Kathy? And the answer is many, limitless, we don't know. And what I arrived at is, I don't know until I do it. So I don't know how many voices I have or how many characters live inside me. They don't exist until they exist. They don't exist until I do them or I find them. And that grows daily. Um, I don't have a specific repertoire of these are the only five to ten voices that I do. And then when an audition comes up, I roll through my little Rolodex inventory of voices that I do and see which one fits. That's not really how it works. Um, so the answer is, I don't know, but hopefully more and more every day. <laughs> um, the number of characters that can live inside you is near limitless. And as an actor, your journey is also a journey of finding them and, and refining them. 
And that happens on the job. I mean, sometimes it happens, you know, a few records into something. You really start to fine-tune. So, yeah, a lot of really open-ended answers for you guys. But I hope the answers are helpful. Or at least interesting. All right, that was six. Let's go to seven. What is Walla? Walla. Okay, so Walla is basically just the kind of white noise of the crowd and the background that you hear in anything, whether it's a movie or a TV show or anything animated. It's the din of the crowd. Um, There are actors who will specialize in Walla or um, loop groups, and they'll work on sound stages, and they'll just kind of create that background noise. So in few words, that's what Walla is. Or not so few. Eight. How do you make a scene more believable? Hmm. How do you make a scene more believable? I mean, to an extent, you have to believe it. This doesn't mean you're in the booth and uh, you kind of get lost in it and you don't know what's happening. I just mean that you make it real for you and your performance is sincere and honest. And it's all about connecting with the humanity and the, the, the true emotion of something. So as voice actors, you're often playing these wacky characters or characters that live in really fantastic worlds that that wouldn't exist otherwise. It's all about being true to the character. And as an actor, that's your job. It's to connect with the truth of something, whatever that is. And it's all about connecting with and finding that humanity in our characters. So whether you're playing a hero or a villain, it comes from a personal place. And I, I think that's how you make things more believable. Nine. How do you deal with burnout? Now, for me, I don't know if this was specifically emotionally or vocally, so we'll tackle both. Emotionally, I don't know that I've felt burnout from working. I don't feel that I've worked enough to feel burnout. And also, I do this because I love it, and so I would hope that I wouldn't get to that point. However... There is something to be said for emotional or mental burnout in this industry because it is, it's a difficult industry. You don't work more than you work. It's a long process um, and a lot of work. And I don't want to get into it too much. I think we can definitely address this more in detail in another episode. And you guys should get very excited because the first guest this season which will be on our next episode, does address this to some degree. And I think, uh, I think it's worth it to hold off a bit on this, on emotional burnout. But vocal burnout, um, I did address a little bit in season one in our tips and tricks of the trade episode. But I will be, I know I keep teasing other episodes, guys, but hey, this is episode one and I have a ton planned for you for season two. Um, But as far as vocal burnout goes, I do have another episode in the works looking more specifically at vocal health and taking care of your vocal cords and your throat. And this is all ranging from things I've talked about before, like apple cider vinegar, straw phonation, tea, throat coat, to actual exercises. So definitely hold off for that. All right. 10. Do you practice accents? How do you approach an accent for a character or prepare? Yes. (laughs) 
so personally, I have played a few characters that have Latin accents or Hispanic accents. And for me, I am fluent Spanish and English. So that has been less a process of studying an accent and more a process of applying the rules of Spanish to English. And obviously, the more you do it, the more natural it becomes, the more second nature it is. It is different for everyone. I know Diane um, says she'll study tapes of accents, and some actors will work with a dialect coach. Um, for Saifa, I didn't work with a dialect coach, but for a video game I worked on, Just Cause 4, we did have a dialect coach sitting in our sessions. So we didn't have classes with this dialect coach beforehand, but she did sit in on our sessions to make sure that everyone kind of was doing the same thing because this game had a very particular Spanish dialect. And so to keep the consistency between actors, she would sit in and kind of flag things as, as we went, as she needed to. Uh, so it definitely depends. But to be able to do a good accent generally, you do have to study and practice, um, whether that's like for me, studying what my mouth or my tongue did when I was speaking Spanish versus English and then being able to just bring that into my English or studying how other people speak or actually looking at a vowel chart. For example, um, my, my British English wasn't the strongest, so I did look at a vowel chart and look at where things needed to be placed. So it just really depends and... Unless that accent is natural to you, it's not a bad idea to to really work on it because sometimes sometimes it's easy to think you're good at an accent and then other people who actually speak those languages or have that accent can really quickly flag things for you. So yes, preparation, good. However that looks for you, good. All right, 11. What are some good vocal warm-ups? Oh, I think this is kind of like nine, was it? Yes, nine. So we'll be looking into that later on in the season. Twelve. How old do voice actors start? Yes. There isn't really an age limit on this. They start when they start. I started when I was 16. I started as an actor when I was nine. Some people start as adults. Some people start as younger kids. It's up to you when you start. But when you do start, I hope you start first with your preparation um, before you throw yourself into the ring on this one, because it is, it is, um, a difficult process, and I would hate for you to burn any bridges or make a bad impression when you have potential. So don't jump too early, I would say. Um, whenever that is for you is perfectly fine. Just be prepared. Thirteen. How has your character affected you in real life? Do you take it home with you? I like to think about it as being the other way around. I like to think about how I affect my character. Um, because as actors, you bring yourself to, to your characters um, to varying degrees. And some very wise actresses have told me, they being Kathy and Jimmy and Diane Pershing, that you shouldn't be taking it home with you. The point is to have that moment to live in that character and then be able to put it away and go home and be yourself. So it's best to not take the work home with you, especially if you have something really emotional or upsetting happen. You don't really want that sitting with you forever. 
But yeah, I like to think about it as how do I affect my characters? Okay, I think that was the last one on on our list of uh, Soda City Comic Con inspired VO 101 questions. If this got the brain juices flowing for you and you feel like you have another great question, or maybe your question wasn't answered, or you just have something else you would like a little bit of direction on, please feel free to at me on Twitter. That's at Ale Reynoso, A-L-E r-e-y-n zero s zero with the hashtag hashtag cat mike qa so hashtag c-a-t-m-i-c-q-a this will all be in the show notes for this episode on my website at www.alejandrareynoso.com slash podcast Wow, that was a lot of letters and logistics. Okay, guys, thank you for tuning in to Season 2 of Rolling Wild. And get super pumped for Episode 2 of Season 2, because coming up... Coming up next on Rolling Wild, it's me, Hayden Davio. That's right, you won't want to miss it. Alright, we'll call this one Rolling Wild with Alejandro Reynoso, Episode 201, VoiceOver 101. Thank you.